Welcome back this week to another episode of Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I imagine we probably have some some uh, listeners from Washita Baptist as well, Arkadelphia, Arkansas. So if you're a Washita fan, a special welcome to you as well. Hopefully you get a lot of good information on the Bearcats. Big show this week, as you can tell by the, uh, by the length. And uh, that's okay, though. It's playoffs. I'm so excited that the streak continues another season for the Bearcats. 18 years and uh, 2003 still remains the last time the Bearcats were not in the national playoffs. Pretty incredible. Like I said, big show this week. Some very special guests. John Dykstra from the Maryville Forum will be joining me. Devin Albertson, MIAA columnist for D2Football.com. This week's player interview, senior running back number five, Jamar Moya, and a very special guest, the voice of Washita Baptist and a Hall of Famer and in, in the Arkansas Broadcasters and, and Sports Writers Hall of Fame and a legend down in that area and a great ambassador for the game, Rex Nelson. So excited to get him on. You know, he's kind of become, for those of us in Bearcat Nation, kind of a cult figure a little bit. His fun calls and that crazy call if you were one of the folks that watched the game. And uh, last week, the the Battle of the Ravine, we'll talk about that and and get you the rundown on, on Washita Baptist, all that stuff. And, uh, of course, wrap up the show with the Bearcats, according to Eli. My 11-year-old son Eli comes on. We'll do. We'll see where we shook out on predictions for the season, and then we'll uh, give our own predictions in Super Region Three and for the Bearcats and Tigers this weekend. I want to talk a little bit about the Bearcats' 27-21 victory in Emporia at Welch Stadium on Saturday. Eli and I, of course, were there and. Boy, kind of a crazy game. At this point, you obviously know what happened. You can go back and read recaps and things. There's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about for uh, for this game. One, just how good the defense was with their back against the wall. I tweeted this stat out, I believe on Monday. I, I went and looked it up because I was kind of thinking, man, you know, the Emporia had some great field position all game long, especially those last couple of drives. And and I kind of wondered how that went. I I honestly, once I looked at the game, looked at the drive summary from the game, kind of started figuring some things out, I was, I was pretty shocked at just how it was. Five Emporia State drives started at midfield or in Northwest Territory, including their first one of the game where the Bearcats forced a punt. The other four of those, three interceptions and a turnover on downs. That is absolutely incredible, including the last two drives. One started in Northwest Territory, the other at midfield, turnover on downs, and then Khalil Smith's interception, the game clincher with less than a minute left. And that's one thing. There's a couple of guys I kind of want to single out, one being Khalil Smith. You know, he's gotten, um, at least in the circles I run, plenty of criticism, obviously, when he's the you know, when he's guarding the other team's best receiver, that's a pretty tall task. And, you know, Coach Wright talked about it after the game about how, well, when when you're a cornerback and you're on an island, you have to have a short memory. And he did. He'd gotten burned earlier in the game, and he comes back and, and makes that game-clinching interception. Kind of a story almost of redemption. Now, he was honored as a first-team All-MIAA player, all of the coaches kind of recognizing the, uh, you know, the tall task he has every week. And, uh, you know, so, so we definitely know that a young and experienced secondary that's 
um, you know, s- certainly probably the the weakness of the Bearcat defense, and uh, they stood up to the task. 198 yards for Braden Gleason, no touchdowns, three interceptions. That's was was pretty incredible, and they did really that whole. And the linebackers really stepped up as well. Then the, probably that back seven, if you want to call them that, of the defense, the secondary and linebackers really did a great job, especially in that first half. That was pretty incredible what they were able to do against Emporia. And if I talk about redemption and comebacks, I, I, I don't know, you know, it wasn't wasn't a real big story, but it was something that um, that really caught my eye. How about Robert Rowie, right? Comes back, he, he ends up, getting a carry for five yards, not an amazing stat line. But I'll be honest with you, and I talked to him, family, other people, I, I didn't know that there was even a chance that he could play. I just assumed his career was over. You know, he did suit up for senior day, which was a great thing to see. But to, for him to get to come in, play several snaps, and also carry the ball, um, it was just really nice that, that you know, the, the disappointment in Pitt wasn't the last time we saw him on the field. That's pretty incredible. So props to him for coming back from a shoulder injury that, um, you know, I've heard people not discuss it as a, as a, as a great injury and just I'm sure how hard he's had to work to come back from that. Had to give him a shout-out because that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. Well, I mentioned Khalil Smith, first-team All-MIAA, and, of course, the uh, MIAA postseason awards coming out on Tuesday, Defensive Player of the Year. How about Elijah Green? Spectacular. I mean, one, couldn't happen to a better young man. And two, just the leaps and bounds that he's grown this season is just kind of being a guy on that D-line last year, kind of behind Sam Roberts, of course, Zach Howard, to the standout guy. I mean, we all know Zach Howard's going to get all the attention, but the things Elijah's done, especially with the pass rush, is, uh, is pretty great. He leads the MIAA in, in uh, 11 sacks, 21 tackles for loss. He's a Maryville kid, obviously, but just not a nicer young man than him. That's really cool. What a great, great award um, for him. Jamar Moya making first team as an all-purpose back, who are, of course, leading the Bearcats and rushing in and receiving Zach Howard, deservedly so, getting first team all MIAA as well as Khalil. Other guys um, being awarded uh, Mitch Goff, second team offensive lineman. I think he should have been first team center. That's that's just my opinion. I think he probably deserved that honor. But second team is nothing to be ashamed of, certainly. Kashawn Griffin is the returner on second team. All MIAA, Sam Phillips and Isaac Volstead at linebacker as well. So that's great. Third team. And just kind of to run through the other uh, Bearcats um, that recognize Jake Fisher who's just a sophomore, I tell you what, there's been games he's looked pretty incredibly dominant and could dominate some people from that defensive end position. Um, and so that that was really great to see, I think, well-deserved. And then uh, honorable mention, of course, Mikey Hohensey at quarterback and uh, and Shane Fredrickson. Yeah, that, he's a redshirt freshman, so that's pretty great. He had a great interception as well. And if you look at the guys with the interceptions – Andrew Dumas, by the way, had a heck of a ball game. He is, you know, somebody that, um, you know, if linebackers are going to get attention, right, it's Isaac and Sam. But uh, but Andrew had a, a, a great game. 
And so that was uh, that was really great to see. And he was flying around hitting some people. He ends up with an interception. Shane Fredrickson with an interception. Khalil Smith with an interception. You know, the youth of this team, and I'm not forgetting about the offense. I just want to highlight the defense here, is there's a lot of it. And those three guys making those three big turnovers, sophomore, sophomore, redshirt freshman. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And we know the seniors, the upperclassmen, but, you know, so much youth on this team. The fact that, um, you know, and I think a lot of them have, have really grown, continue to play better, more consistently, especially during this five-game winning streak after that pit loss when basically the playoffs started. And, uh, you know, and, and Khalil talked about it after the game. He he wanted to step up and do it for the seniors. He was in concussion protocol on senior day and, and missed out on that game and for him to fight his way back. And there's a lot of guys, obviously, uh, um, you know, at this point everybody's kind of banged up a little bit, and we all know about the injury situation and everything. And, uh, oh, by the way, how about Cole Lamel, third-team kicker? I, I can't forget Cole. And props to him on having a, a, a real great bounce-back season for the Bearcats this season. I almost forgot him. And, uh, but no, so, I mean, defensively, obviously, you know, this team's had to do it different ways. And, and, and you go back to the Washburn game, well, the offense had to pick it up, had to score late. And obviously, you know, there have been points of the season where the defense has really carried this team. The offense built the lead and the, and the defense hung on to it and made the stops, made the plays when they had to. And, uh, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, this team is just kind of finding ways to win. It's not it's not pretty. Um, it's not sexy. They just they have to do it. And honestly, that's that's what they've been doing. So let's talk about offense. You know, the uh, kind of the emergence of Jay Harris at running back has brought something different to the run game in this Bearcat offense, you know, 19 carries, 94 yards, a couple of touchdowns again. And, uh, you know, obviously with, with Jamar and Jaden Brady and Tank Young, other guys, um, you know, but, but Jay Harris is really, I mean, he's a, a guy who's just going to run over people. I always kind of like to joke in the stands that he, he falls forward for a yard every time, and it kind of seems like that. If it's third in the yard, fourth in the yard, whatever it is, you hand the ball to him, he he seems to find a way and, uh, and get the first down. And so, uh, but the offense just kind of did what they needed to do. Really, if you look at some of the stats, you know, the third down percentage has kind of been an issue, right? We led the nation or, or right there at the beginning of the season, or, or last season, I should say, and it's been down. That percentage has been down. Eight of 16. That was huge. They had over 36 minutes time of possession, which helped on those late drives. You know, the defense wasn't gassed. They hadn't played all these snaps, you know, as, as we've seen in some other games. And so, you know, converted a couple of fourth down um, opportunities. Four or four in the red zone. That was key. And, uh, you know, did have a couple of turnovers, but forced three. You know, we, we've talked about it, and I think that's a big issue this week. What's the turnover margin? I think it's got to be even or plus side for the Bearcats this week. But I definitely had to give some love to the offense. I know the defense is going to get all the plaudits and everything, but, you know, when you rush for over 180 yards, the passing game, while it hasn't been explosive, made some big plays when they needed to. How about Jaden Brady, by the way? That fake punt was just so much fun. 
And if you're a listener of the podcast, you know Sam Phillips is an eight-man guy. He used to play end, tight end. Heck of a one-handed catch for him. And uh, that was fun on that fake punt, that kind of stuff. And and it just shows. You know, I think Coach Wright talked about it after the game that he was letting it all hang out. They were not going to play conservatively. They were going to play to win. And um, it was great. We didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen after the game. I, I think I made the... Uh, comment to somebody, I was about 60% sure <laughs> that we'd get in the playoffs. So not a great feeling. By the time Sunday rolled around, I was texting a few people. I said I was about 75% sure that we were going to get in, but I wasn't sure. I thought maybe we were going to go to Mankato. That was kind of seemed to be what they thought. I I said Mankato or Washita. I thought it was going to be one of the two. And while this Washita matchup is a good matchup for the Bearcats, I, I don't know that I don't know that we're favored or anything like that. Um, obviously, it's strength on strength. They're running game against our defense. And, uh, you know, although the key battle in the game might be Washita's defense against the Northwest offense. You know, again, turnovers have been an issue, and Washita forces a bunch of them. That's the thing. Their defense is kind of bend but don't break. They give up yards, and uh, they got a couple of great defensive tackles. Their secondary flies around is pretty opportunistic. So that's, you know, how the turnover battle goes, I think, is kind of how this game is going to go. So that's that's a big one to watch. But I'm excited. Hey, this time of year, I like traveling south. <laughs> so don't have to go north, go south. At this point, as of, as of recording, it's supposed to be sunny and close to 50, at least the upper 40s uh, down in Arkadelphia. And, uh, you know, if, if you're one of the folks traveling to the game, then uh, we're going to talk to Rex Nelson about some good places to eat down that way as well. So you know me, I like food. That's one of the things. Football first, but food's right there, food second. So it's going to be exciting. But big time podcast, big time episode, let's get on with it. We'll take a timeout. We'll start things off with this week's player interview. Jamar Moya is next here on Bleeding Green. Hey, Bearcat fans, this is Mel Churchman, former Bearcat coach. You're listening to Bleeding Green with Matt Daniel. And welcome back here on Bleeding Green. Time for this week's player interview. Joined now by number five, senior running back Jamar Moya. And Jamar, man, thanks so much for uh, coming on and, and joining me here on Bleeding Green. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you a lot. Appreciate it. So let's let's start off. I like to always start at the beginning about your childhood. You grew up in in California, is that right? Yep, um, in Bakersfield, California. I'm born and raised. Um, I grew up all all around California, though. Um, I have family in different parts, but Bakersfield, uh, Bakersfield California is um, where I'm from. Was sports a big part of your childhood? Um, yeah, sports is um, everything. Um, being from Bakersfield, um, is it's not too many too many uh, different paths to take to you know. Um, to get to college. So um, sports definitely played a big part of my childhood. I, I know it, once you got in high school, you, you played different sports, but when you were younger, did you play about everything? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I even played soccer. <laughs> um, I think what, like third and uh, third, fourth and fifth grade, I played, played a little soccer. Um, and then also um, I did chess. I was, I was big on chess. Um, I was the fifth grade chess champion at one point in time. So, Oh, nice. Do you get any chess games going in the locker room now or anything? Uh, no, not yet. We don't have a we don't have a chess board in the locker room, but um, me and my brother from time to time we'll we'll um, we'll, we'll play a little. Okay. All right. Cool. So, was football your your first love, or did it kind of develop that way later? Or? 
Um, yeah, no, no. Um, football definitely was, I'd say, probably like my my second love. Basketball was my first. Um, I used to love basketball and um, even baseball. But football came, I'd say, like around middle school. Um, I, I started knowing that I was good at it. And then when I got in high school, I definitely, like, you know, I, I kind of knew at that point. And so um, I kind of just stayed to football. So, and you played basketball and, and football in high school, is that right? Yep, um, and also did track. Okay, track. Do you have any favorite memories or anything from e- any of those of favorite games or, or competitions or anything in high school? Um, I'll say um, some of those playoff games, uh, those big games, uh, some of the state playoff games. Um, just going to, you know, just going to war with um, – those group of people, um, you you kind of always remember that um, those big moments. Um, and also, we did a thing um, before season at um, Hume Lake. It's a it's just a team camp, um, FC FCA, I believe. Um, we do those every year during the summer um, in high school, and I feel like that's what um, brings us together to get us ready through the season. Awesome. So I feel like that would probably be like one of my favorite memories. Okay. What point was it in your high school career where you really, really started thinking, okay, college football is something that, that can really happen for me? Um, I'll say after my sophomore, my sophomore season, um, I had a lot of, a lot of other big names on the team. Um, their seniors, uh, they started to get recruited and, you know, coaches would come and stop by and start talking to me, um, as well. And so I, after that, that sophomore season, I'm like, yeah, I, I definitely can, make up make something happen with this what was the recruiting process like and, and what kind of what schools were you considering through that through that process um it was mostly all mount west schools i didn't really have anything else outside of the mount west um but a lot of them wanted me for defense um actually and so um coming out of high school i was originally committed to humboldt state university that was a d2 um for offense because that was like one of my only offensive offers um and then their school program got shut down, though. Their football program got shut down. And so um, that's when I went to um, what Scottsdale for the spring semester. And then I transferred to MNU um, during that next fall. Okay. And, and what, what, why Mid-American Nazarene? Why was that an, an attractive place for you to go? Um, all honesty, um, Coach 30. Um, that man is a, man, he's a blessing <laughs> to my family and to me. Um, but yeah, coach 30, he gave me a call and, um, said he had a, had a job, um, at mid America and he was, um, willing to give me a scholarship. Awesome. And so when he came to Northwest, was it something that you knew that, that, that that's where you, where you wanted to go was, was to still play for him? Uh, yeah, to, to a certain extent. Um, I knew I didn't want to play more than two seasons at MNU. Um, just because it was being at the NAIA level, I was wanting to try to get back to, you know, D1 or D2. Um, and I think just the opportunity just um, just unfolded right because um, to go D1, you needed four semesters for, um, you know, four, four terms or whatever it is. And so I only had three at the time, but going D2, um, you can do that. And so it kind of just played out perfect, honestly. Well, what, what about Northwest was – do you remember – any special memories from your visit or anything that, that where you knew, okay, that's, that's where I want to go. Um, I actually didn't get to take a visit. Like I said, the process was kind of weird. Um, it, it, it happened really fast, but I did get to talk to the coaches, the coaches staff and, um, 
a couple of players on the on the um, on the team at the time. And so just um, I say like what really stuck out to me was obviously you know the winning culture. Um, and then looking up their background history was like you know crazy. Um, seeing all the people who played there is just like um, I say like eye opener, I guess. All right, perfect. Well, well. Uh, so, so, what's your major, and then what are kind of your plans here after uh, after graduation? Um, my um, major is um human services, and minor in criminal justice and criminology. Um, and as of now, I've been talking to well, not really talking, but um, I, I might I might still uh, consider playing after this. Um, so I'm leaning towards that as of now, but um. If not, I'd probably go back and get my master's um, in social work. Um, and after that, probably go find a job if not. But like I said, I still I still plan on playing after this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I got to ask you, too, about the number change. Last year you were number 11. Now you're number yeah. five. Any, any special meaning behind the number five or 11 before that? Um, no, not, uh, not 11. 11, I kind of just, um, just, just ran with that. Uh, just because uh, Devontae was number five last year. Um, but no, I've always been number five um, since I think my junior year in high school. I've been five. Um, it, it goes back to my brother um, when he played at Iowa State. He he wore number five. And so it's just um, a thing we have, just trying to um, keep the number alive. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, here at the very last Jamar, I've got the pick six, just kind of six crazy questions. Are you ready for them? Yep. Yep. Let's do it. Let's do it. Question number one. Yep. Are you a superstitious guy? Do you have any like rituals or anything you've got to do pregame? No. Um, but coach Wright definitely is, (laughs) but no, uh, I'm not, man. Um, I'll say the only thing that I do before the game, um, is, uh, probably pray. No, that'd probably be the only thing is just, um, send a prayer up and, um, you know, get ready. All right, perfect. Second question: Who was your favorite player growing up? Oh, that's easy. Um, oh, it's a couple though. Um, I say Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin definitely number one. I used to watch his highlights um every uh, before every game for sure. Tavon Austin. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right, the third question: Pineapple on pizza? Is that a yes or a no for you? <laughs> it's it's a yes. <laughs> a lot of people are going to hate that, but yeah, it's definitely a yes. Um, I feel like it's it's what you. What you like and what you, you know, what you prefer. Hey, I, I'm definitely. with you there. I'm 100% with you on there. I'll, I'll eat pineapple and pizza. I don't care. Uh, for, fourth question of the pick six here. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, man, we are just talking about that. I, th- I, I think I would have to have um, super speed or something like that. I think super speed for sure. All right, perfect. Fifth question: If you had to pick one teammate to survive the zombie apocalypse with, who would you pick? One teammate. Ooh, I think I'm going with Mikey. I'm, I'm going with Mike. My man, Mike. <laughs> I think Mike can be able to pull something out. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, last question here. It's a little more on the serious side. Go for something goofy to something serious. What uh, when when this season finally comes to an end, you're playing days here at Northwest or over. What do you want people to remember about Jamar Moya? Um. Oh yeah, that, that's definitely a good question. Um. I'll say, um. Just being positive, you know, I try to stay positive, um, like, 
I think about a lot, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and um, different things. And so you never know what someone's going through. You know, you never know what someone's um, family's going through back home. And so I just try to be positive to everybody um, and, you know, bring a little energy. And, you know, like I said, just, just staying positive and trying to keep a smile on my face and keep others, you know, happy and that. So I, I say that that that'd be the thing. Probably. Uh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, Jamar, man, I certainly appreciate you coming on and taking some time to chat with me and, and wish you and the team the best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Xavier Oman, former Northwest Bearcat. You're listening to Bleeding Green with Matt Daniel. Once a Bearcat, always a Bearcat. And welcome back here on Bleeding Green. Time to talk some Bearcats. Joining me, the sports editor for the Maryville Forum, John Dykstra. John, man, thanks for uh, coming back on again. And and boy, what a game in Emporia we've got to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a that was a big one in uh, in a lot of ways, and it came down right to the wire. Well, and it, I mean, it couldn't have started any better than the Bearcats. I mean, obviously some nice drives in that first half. You, you build a nice 20-7 to 7 lead. The defense played as well as they've played, especially in the passing game, over any stretch this season. I thought that, that first half was, was so, so impressive defensively. Yeah, basically held Brady Gleason to his, his worst numbers in, in every category. I mean, uh, First time less than 200 yards passing. First time all season, no touchdown passes. Uh, we'll get to it, I'm sure, later. But three interceptions uh, matches the season high that he had the week before. So, um, yeah, really good. Really good game from the secondary. And 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 lots of Jay Harris, too. And he had uh, had another great game. And, and he's really kind of come in as kind of, you know, a, I don't know if, if bell cow is the right word, but he just – has a different skill set and he's a guy that's going to run over people. I, I, I always say in the stands that it's like he, he falls over for an extra yard. It seems like just about every time he carries a football. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. And we're talking before the thing out or before we started recording, I felt like they weren't giving them the ball enough. And then you look at it at the end, he had 19 carries and he's just, he's just really effective with them. He had more than twice as many carries as anybody else on the team and more than three times as many yards as anybody else rushing on the team. So, yeah, 19 carries for 94 yards, two touchdowns. Um, there's a reason they pulled his red shirt. He, that guy can play a bit, and uh, he's going to be fun to watch over the next three years, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, and it's interesting, too. I mean, this win and, and – and, well, I guess we can finish talking – about the game but one of the things I wanted to mention though about this win is just kind of the resiliency of this team and and the different ways they've found to win during the season if you want to go back to the Washburn game well it was the offense you know the defense gives up a late touchdown and this one the defense stands tall um you know it's it's I don't know you know it just kind of seems like there's something about this team and it, it may not not be pretty and they may not win any beauty contests but they are just winning football games and at the end of the day that's that's what you got to do yeah and that and that defense though they they do they are pretty sometimes and they were pretty this weekend i mean uh sam phillips and isaac both said time for the team leading tackles with eight apiece andrew dumas getting 
six tackles and an interception. Um, the the second level was something uh, Coach Rich Wright talked about after the game that they were just flying around and they really did creating turnovers. Um, Shane Fredrickson's pick was up in the box too, and just making making things tough for Emporia with that quick passing game and. And they really excelled in it when I think uh, some of us, me included, had questions how they handled that passing game because that's, that's certainly been a way to beat Northwest and not running the ball this year. Um, but they they were able to uh, to slow them down enough, and then uh, I think you get to it, but Khalil Smith make a, a heck of a play to, uh, to seal that game. Oh, 100%. And well, Khalil, you know, he gets gets second team um, all MIAA, is, is that, um, or first team rather, all MIAA, which is great. But I think, you know, I, I don't know that he's had quite the season that he has probably wanted to. I think, you know, we've seen at times him maybe have some inconsistencies, giving up some big plays. And, I, and that's part of it. You're a corner, you're out there on the island. But I thought that was so awesome to see him make a play like that. Um, you know, it was almost a moment of redemption maybe when, you know, like I said, giving up some big plays at different times. I mean, the whole secondary played, I think their best game of the season in, you know, in, in holding Braden Gleason to 198 yards and, and three picks, you know, the defense sacks him three times, but it was, uh, um, but yeah, the, the game ceiling interception by Khalil was, was a great moment for him and, and, and the defense secondary, you know, it was, it was deserved. You kind of thought, I kind of thought, you know, at the end there, boy, the defense is going to have to make a play for us to win this game. And they did. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, Rich has pointed out multiple times this year too, that Khalil, you're, he's going to give up some plays because he's matched up with the best receiver all the time. And that's, that's evidenced by the coaches giving him that respect with that first team all in my double A spot. And, he got beat early in the game. He got beat on a uh, on the third and long, and and gave up a big play. And uh, and Rich mentioned after the game that uh, that Khalil made him right for uh, picking that uh, for taking that penalty at the end of the game. We can go through how it went, but um, they get a sack of, of Gleason, and it would have been fourth and goal from like eight, but they had a chop block. And uh, Rich said he was debating whether or not he was taking it or not. And I was on the sideline actually talking to Coach Mel Churchma about it. And and both Mel and I agreed when we thought it was going to be a holding call. You you don't take that and you uh and you make them play it out fourth and eight. Um, but then when it was a chop block and fifteen yards, uh, we said I don't know if either of us actually said what we would do, but we said that makes a much more difficult decision. And, uh, Rich decided to take the yardage, take the penalty, go go uh, third and long instead of fourth and medium there. And uh, that's why he said after the game, Khalil made him right. So he was uh, grateful to Khalil for making that play, which was just a heck of a play to reach back behind, uh, tip it to himself and, and pull it in. Yeah, and I, I I don't I think it might have been in your article. Like he came off his man, that wasn't his man. Yeah. Um. You know, and and so yeah, just just great instincts, a great play. That's interesting. You bring up that penalty because you know we're up in the stands talking. Same thing. I thought you know if you've got holding and you're going to have third and goal from the twelve or fourth and goal at the eight, well, boy, I don't want to give them two chances. I would take you know, decline the penalty, take the sack and have fourth and eight, but the 15 yard penalty, I was like, Ooh, you know, then that moves you back to the 
what was it the 17 i think that it moved it back to mm-hmm. and and thought okay well i don't know like i i don't think we really either said either way because i didn't know like i i i was pretty insistent amongst the group that i was with that hey you decline the penalty you take fourth down you take our defense just give them one shot but um yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was absolutely, it ends up being, it was absolutely the right call. And, uh, and you know, Khalil makes a great play. And, and yeah, the defense overall, I mean, obviously, you know, Emporia was able to do some things in the uh, in the second half and move the ball a little bit better. But, um, you know, it, it was just so impressive what the defense was able to do, especially as much as they were on the field in the fourth quarter. They had the one drive, but those last two drives, turnover on downs and, and then that interception, I mean, especially when, you know, Emporia had such great field position. I, I tweeted out a stat earlier this week of of Emporia had five drives at midfield or in Northwest Territory, and they ended punt, interception, interception, turnover on downs, and interception. I mean, that's I mean, that's playing with fire, but at the same time it really shows the resiliency of these guys when their back was against the wall, especially those last two drives, turnover on downs and that interception and you know, the defense couldn't have come up any bigger than they did. Yeah, and I think that sometimes we uh we hold the defense to this impossible standard um to to really match up with and it feels like, oh, they gave up some points. I mean it's Emporia. They the the third best team in the MIAA, they if they would have won that game, they would have been in the playoffs. Like <laughs> they're a good team and uh and giving up some points to them is going to happen. But the way the defense just kept fighting, kept kept responding, um, especially that first half, they were dominant. But even in the second half when Emporia figured some things out, they were still um, right there with them and found a way to get off the field those times, like you were saying. So uh, that's it's a really good performance, I think, by the defense and really, really impressive performance to, uh, to keep them out. And then the offense – did just enough. And I think as we start looking ahead, that's going to be, that's going to be the formula for success in the playoffs is the defense staying dominant. And then the offense find their way to, uh, to do enough to win. Well, and, and the other thing too, I mean, I think, you know, the defense wasn't gassed by any means at the end of the game, just because the offense had, you know, you'd had time of possession and, and, you know, the offense was able to kind of keep the ball other than those last, last couple of drives, um, you know, they were, they were really able to, to, uh, you know, let the defense rest, let rich make his adjustments. I mean, that's when things are at their best for this team kind of, you know, rich has talked all season about playing complimentary football and things like that. Other thing about the offense too, is eight to 16 on third down. I mean, that's very 2021 esque last season. We were right up there. If not leading the nation, one of the top teams in the country on third down conversions. And that's been a thing, you know, that we haven't seen as much this year. And, uh, you know, the offense just, you know, stayed on the field, kept the clock moving, kept the ball. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you, you talk about going into this weekend's game. I mean, the turnovers, yes, you know, you, you don't love those, but forcing three, you know, Northwest ends up plus one, which is great because they've been on the negative side so many different times this season. And I think, you know, that's what it's going to take, you know, a, a, you win a game on the road against a tough opponent that likes to run the football. You're going to have to play great defense. You're going to have to not turn the ball over and, and maybe force one or two yourself. What, what were your thoughts when you heard that Northwest was, was going to Arkadelphia and taking on Washita Baptist? 
Well, um, it, I was a little surprised. I'll say that um, I uh, in the uh, you can kind of skip ahead in the pre or in the uh, selection show, and I was doing that to get a, a sneak peek. And the region I flipped to first actually was for region four because I I was pretty convinced they were going to get moved um, just so the committee could avoid all the rematches that are in the first round, the conference, uh, conference rematches, I thought Northwest made sense to, uh, to go there and to either go to Mankato or to go somewhere else in the Northern sun. Um, but I flipped back and obviously saw, saw Watchtown. And that's, to me, that's a good first round matchup for Northwest. I mean, it's, it's, not the same as Harding. They are they are different teams, but it's a run heavy GAC team that and traditionally, obviously against Harding, uh Rich Wright defenses have success against those types of teams. Um so I I like the matchup in the first round for them. Um I think they're they're still in the toughest region in the country and Washington's a very good team. So that's not to say that they are in any way guaranteed to win this game or or most people would probably pick watch con this game um but i think it is a good matchup scheme wise and and fit wise to uh to go against the tigers yeah well and yeah just because it's a good matchup you still got to go out there and uh and perform well and and do you know, do what you've got to do. And I, you know, I have a ton of respect for this Wachita team and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of TJ Cole, their running back who yeah. they like to run out of the wildcat, do lots of direct snap stuff to him and short yardage and, and in goal line situations. And, and uh, you know, but I don't know, you know, I, I think some of it is that this Bearcat team, it just kind of seems, you know, we've been in playoff mode since, since the loss to Pitt state. And so, you know, there's, there's really been no, no margin for error and this team again not every game's been pretty not every game's been perfect but uh, they just kind of find a team to win and I don't know there's just something about this team that that I just kind of feel like when the chips are down somebody's gonna make a play um, you know and, and we don't know you know it, it, it was the defense last week maybe the offense um, you know does something this week who knows but the, I don't know I just kind of have this feeling of you know, obviously this team's battled injuries and overcame a lot this season, and and heard from you know outside the program and everything else, maybe how they're they're uh, you know the, not the typical performing at a typical Bearcat level possibly, but um, I don't know. You know, I I think if there's a role that that Coach Wright likes, it's kind of where you know the the people aren't uh, you know maybe you're the underdog a little bit or people are doubting you a little bit. And, you know, we saw in the D2 selection show, you know, should Northwest have been in? I don't know. You know, I think objectively, you know, Northwest is one of the top seven teams in this region. What the numbers? Well, maybe they said something different. But anyway, I'm rambling here, John. But but what I'm trying to say is the the team, I don't know. There's just something about this team that I feel like when the chips are down, somebody's got to make a play that they're just going to do it. And that's an interesting point that I kind of just realized as you were talking there, it's, for the last five weeks, they've had their backs against the wall and all the pressure in the world on them. Keep this playoff streak alive. Can't lose another game. Can't, can't do, can't mess up because if you mess up, then this is going to, in this streak that's 
been around for as long as some of these guys have been alive. And now it's, uh, now that pressure's a little bit off. You're in the playoffs, you're going on the road, you're, you're a lower seed. How, how do they respond to it? Do <laughs> I don't think it'll be a let up type situation, but now with the pressure off, is it, kind of just go out there and play and I don't think it will change anything about what the uh what the defense does because they've been stellar throughout um but does that maybe uh take a little pressure off the offense and, and kind of just let them play with with a little bit more house money than maybe they've been playing with before and, and go out there and and let it loose a little bit um it'll be interesting because they've been they've been playing well you mentioned the defense winning the Emporia game at the end there. Um, but the offense won the Washburn game. Like, mm-hmm. There's been, there's this run has had a lot of tight games of a lot of different guys have stepped up. Um, I mean, look at the, look at the Emporia game too. Ryan Dewhurst catches first career touchdown, his first two passes of his career um, for the local kid. Uh, Jaden Brady stepped up. There's, the offense has been kind of interesting this year with different guys having different weeks. We had the Kashawn Griffin was dominant for a while there. Now defenses are really key in on him. Cole Hembros had his moments uh, early in the season. It was Trayvon Alexander. There's, it's kind of it seems like it's a different guy every week, and that's that can make them kind of dangerous. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, it ought to be, ought to be a great matchup. Is I don't, I definitely don't mind driving south this time of year for a playoff game. So the weather weather will be a little bit uh, nicer. It looks like down in Arkadelphia, and and uh, we'll see what happens. John, as always, my friend, I definitely appreciate you coming on, and and uh, we'll do it again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Matt. back here on Bleeding Green. It's time to go to the other sideline and join now by the play-by-play voice of the Washita Baptist Tigers, Rex Nelson, who's a legendary broadcaster in, in his own right. A couple of great broadcasters for both teams. We know about our John Coffey and you've got Rex. Rex, it's a real honor and pleasure to uh, have you on. Thanks for taking some time and joining me here on Bleeding Green. Well, it's an honor to be on. Uh, I'm not blowing smoke at you when I tell you that uh, Northwest Missouri is uh, obviously with its tradition, more national championships than anybody is the Alabama of division two football. So we're just, we're honored to be hosting you guys in Arkadelphia this weekend. Uh, what a great tradition you have and something we're trying to build at our school and really looking forward to the matchup. Well, I'm, I'm just excited to kind of go somewhere new in the playoffs. Seems like if we're talking GAC, we've seen a lot of Harding over the last few years. Excited to excited to come down to Arkadelphia and, and uh, you know, cross another stadium off my list anyway and, and see you guys. I mean, you guys sit there at 11-0. and And honestly, undefeated regular seasons are kind of, you know, been the norm more more than not if we look back the last five, six, seven years. You guys have had have quite a bit of success down there. Yeah, the Great American Conference has been around for 11 years, and you mentioned Harding, and I've got a lot of friends there, so I don't want to 
I don't mean this as a slap to my friends at Harding, but I will point out Washtaw has won six of those 11 conference championships. Washtaw has won two. I mean, excuse me, Washtaw's won six, Harding's won two. So Washtaw's got three times as many uh, conference championships. We've, we've been real fortunate. Uh, we've been on a run. Certainly since 2014, we had undefeated regular seasons at 14, um, again in 18, again in 19, and now in 2022. So uh, four undefeated regular seasons since 2014. And this one, uh, considering uh, we were coming from behind in multiple ball games, may have been the most unlikely of them all, to be honest with you. Well, and, and, you know, obviously the Bearcats sitting there at nine and two, which is exactly where Washita was at this point last year, except they just missed out on the playoffs. There was definitely some Barely. question. Whether yeah, the- we were, we were like the first team mm-hmm. out, but you know, that was, uh, that was kind of okay with me. We had just won the battle of the ravine against our crosstown rival Henderson State University on a 53-yard field goal in the last minute of play. So the way that ended, I thought, well, what a great way to end the season. But certainly this year's Battle of the Ravine topped that one, but we wanted to get this bunch to the playoffs this year. I'm not sure we could get past Northwest on Saturday, but I'm I'm glad they're there. Uh, they've been so much fun to call. I'm I'm not ready for this season to end. So <laughs> glad I get at least one more shot on Saturday afternoon. Well, was was that kind of miss? Because because I know you know among amongst some of us that are kind of D two fans and things, we thought you know you guys probably should have been included in the playoffs last year. Or at least had a good argument too. Was there any frustration that kind of led to some motivation into this season? Do you think for this year's team? I, th- I think there was. I, I think so. Uh, you know, Riley Harms, who is Washtenaw's good quarterback, a transfer from Kearney State in Nebraska, was supposed to be the starter last year and was injured before the season started. So uh, we had a young man named Grant Allen that did an excellent job, but uh, really had been counting on Harms, and it was kind of kind of tough when that did not work out. So uh, I know Riley wanted to get back out there and he wanted to say that he led this team to the playoffs. And one of our greatest running backs in school history is a senior TJ Cole. So we certainly wanted to get him to the playoffs. So yeah, there was, there was plenty of extra motivation going into the 2022 season. Well, obviously all, all the talk usually starts with TJ, but, but, I, and, and Kendall Givens as well, a couple of great running backs, but let's talk about Riley Harms. I mean, he's been a guy, you know, at, obviously the, the running backs get, um, you know, get a lot of the, get a lot of the love and the attention and rightfully so. But I mean, he's a guy, you know, 16 touchdowns to four interceptions completed almost 67% of his passes. What has he brought to this team? Cause he can run as well. He's ran for over 300 yards and four touchdowns. Absolutely. He is so smart. I mean, last year, even though he couldn't play, he was basically an assistant coach. He was on that sideline charting every play uh, at every practice. I mean, he's kind of a coach on the field. You've heard that term before, but he really is. He's He is a brilliant young man, and he has gotten better. I, I don't remember a quarterback that is driven 
uh, like Riley Harms has driven to get better, uh, struggled a little bit in his first game of the season at Oklahoma Baptist in the rain, but has literally gotten better every game and uh, really capped the regular season with just an unbelievable comeback uh, on Saturday. And uh, uh, I do love the running backs you mentioned, but that comeback would not have happened in the Battle of the Ravine without Riley Harms at quarterback. Well, and he had, I mean, we, we talk about the game a little bit too. He had a great two minute drive in the first half, obviously in the last four minutes, he was, was really great. And it kind of, I don't know, I think it really showed some versatility as to what this team can be because it seems like so much of the identity, at least from us outside looking in, right. Is TJ Cole is Kendall Givens, but yeah, he had to do it with his arm and made some big time plays. He did. I mean, we were we were 14 points down to our biggest rival with four minutes left. He takes them down the field in a seven-play drive that took less than two minutes off the clock. I mean, everything had to go right. Then you have to hold Henderson because we kicked deep. We didn't kick onside with three minutes left. We kicked deep, so you, you really got to force them into a three and out. They went three and out. They shanked a punt 24 yards. And so then he had only 51 yards to go, almost did it too quickly. We scored in four plays, but left a minute and a half on the clock. So Henderson got back into position for a 45-yard field goal attempt on the final play of regulation. Luckily for Washtenaw, missed that. And uh, when Washtenaw was able to hold Henderson to three points on its possession in overtime. I mean, I just knew at that point we were going to win the football game. There was no stopping this offense, but it did come down to a fourth and one at the sticks and Todd Knight, rather than sending in his field goal kicker, who is a very good kicker, uh, descended to a second overtime said, we're going to win it or lose it right here. We went for it on fourth down. DJ Cole got two yards, made it first and goal at the four and then scored the winning touchdown two plays later. But again, those two touchdown drives late in the fourth quarter, those were more, Riley harms through the air than they were anything on the ground. Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah, just kind of an amazing, you talk about the, the battle of the ravine last year and the one this year, it's such an unusual game with just the highway celebrating or separating the two stadiums. I mean, it's, it's uh, pretty incredible. Anybody that watches inside D2 football on, on Sunday nights, they've, they've talked a lot about on that, but just talk about the rivalry and just how unusual it is. Cause you can basically sit in one stadium and look inside, look across the yeah, street inside it, the other. It's unlike anything else in America. I tell people we're going to get a ESPN game day there one year because it's just so unique. It is the only college football game in the country where the visiting team doesn't fly to a road game. It doesn't bus to a road game. It walks to a road game. I mean, the stadiums are across the highway from each other. So Washtenaw dressed in its dressing room. Uh, state troopers stopped traffic on U.S. Highway 67 at about 1230. They walked over kicked off at two and then they walked back home again after they won. So it, it is a, it is a different deal. Uh, and it, it always draws a good crowd. Uh, we had more than 11,000 at the game on Saturday. And that is larger than the population of the city of Arkadelphia, by the way. Wow. 
Well, let's talk about T.J. Cole. I mean, he's the guy grabbing the headlines over 1,600 yards, 26 touchdowns. Heck, he threw for a couple more and caught a few passes last week. And the thing is, you talk about that fourth and one play, and you know he does something a little, little unusual. And he's you know done that the last couple of years where he'll just take the direct snap. And the amazing thing about it is, teams know what's coming. Oh yeah, and, the, yeah, and they still can't stop it. It's you know what we're going to do. Can you stop him? And uh, Washtenaw is blessed with a veteran offensive line. I don't want to mention that too, but between Cole and uh, them, very few can. And it shows you what kind of confidence Todd Knight had. The fact that he went for it rather than letting it go to a second overtime. I have no doubt. Uh, that our field goal kicker would have made the chip shot field goal. Like I said, he made one from 53 last year to win the game. So he would have made a chip shot down there that was basically extra point. But, you know, weird things could have happened in a second overtime. So Knight showed uh, that he had confidence in T.J. Cole and had confidence in that offensive line, and that confidence paid off. And uh, that's why Washtaw's 11-0 and at home on Saturday. Well, and Kendall Givens is another back young guy, sophomore that that has had uh, six games where he's ran for at least ninety yards this year. He's averaging about seven yards a carry, over eighty yards a game. I mean, he's another guy. You know, you think, okay, well, T.J. Cole goes out for a breather, and then you feel pretty good. But it's it's like you guys don't let up with Givens. Yeah, that's been a real key to our season. I've got to tell you, is that depth. In fact, it goes four deep, to be honest with you. There's a third running back named Zalen Falls, and there's a fourth one named Isaac Edwards, who I tell you are both pretty good. So that's the thing that's got to be frustrating to uh, opposing defenses is that when you get into that fourth quarter and defenses start tiring, uh, Washtenaw can just – you know, throw a throws a fresh one um, at, at you. I mean, Cole, they'll let him go out and rest, and then you're then you're coming uh, again with Kendall Gibbons, and even occasionally you can throw Falls in there, you throw Edwards in there, and you just keep a quality fresh running back in the game at all times. So, have no doubt, uh, we we are primarily a running team. But again, as as um, as Riley Harm showed at the end of that game last Saturday, um, they can throw the ball when necessary. Well, and I want to talk about the other skill positions too, because at receiver, I mean, you got a couple of couple of guys that that catch a touchdown about every five passes or so, and Connor Flanagan and, and Justin Dean, and I think that really showed through last week of the skill, you know, of of the the depth at the skill position, not just the running the two running backs. Yeah, in fact, the biggest play of the game last week may have been on the tying touchdown that came with a minute and a half left in regulation. It was a long pass that a double-covered Connor Flanagan pulled down at the about the eight-yard line to give us first and goal, and then we could go back to the running game and get the cold touchdown to score it. But uh, Connor Flanagan has got unbelievable hands. Dean also great hands, but... Uh, Flanagan, that was a that was a catch for the ages. That that one goes right up there as one of the I think even though it wasn't a scoring play, it was one of the top plays in Battle of the Ravine history. Well, it's been a lot of time talking about offense, and rightfully so, averaging about 45 points a game. But the defense is no slouch either, holding opponents to a little over 18 points. And the thing that really stands out to me on this defense is just how how many playmakers are. It seems like turnovers are kind of thing. You guys might give up yards, but it's kind of the bend, don't break, and and seem they seem to do a great job of taking the ball away. 
Yeah, you know, we give an offensive and defensive player of the game on our radio post-game show every week. And offense, you know, usually is Riley Harms or T.J. Cole. Cole more than anybody. I think it's been Givens a couple of times. But defense, you know, it seems like there's a leading, a different leading tackler almost every week. Uh, they, they've got some depth there. And so it's not just one guy you can point to. Uh, if I had to point to one, it would probably be Anthony Freeman on the line because he's just such a monster. Uh, but, boy, you know, the linebackers have had a lot of tackles this year. It's just um, a pretty balanced defense. It's a good defense, but there's not just one star that you can point to over on that defensive side of the ball. Well, and let's talk about this weekend's game because obviously a, a big matchup, and I'm excited because I get to you know cross a new stadium off my list coming down to to Arkadelphia, which I've never been uh, there either. So to to the stadium or or to the town, and and um, obviously it, it's strength on strength. You know, I think it's you know the, the running game of Washita and and the defense of the Bearcats, and I think that's the fun thing about the playoffs and about this game in particular is just. You know, it's, it's like I said, strength on strength. I suspect you'll see Harms passing a little bit more than you have seen in the normal regular season games for Washtenaw because he's going to have to because uh, Northwest is just so strong against the running game. That's not to say that Cole might not have a good game, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, they don't they don't make me privy to the game plan. But my guess is that you'll see us mixing it up a little more. Uh, on offense than you normally do. If you ask our preferred style on our offense, our preferred style is to run the football, keep moving those chains, have long seven, eight, nine-minute drives, and limit possessions for the other team. That's that's how Washtenaw tends to win football games. And uh, I, I just, you know, I can't see I can't see Washtenaw sustaining seven, eight, nine-minute drives against the Northwest defense. But we'll see. Well, and so, so what you know? What are kind of the keys to the victory for for the Tigers in in this game? I think Harms has to have his best game um, as a college quarterback. Uh, you know, uh, TJ is going to do his thing. Kendall Gibbons is going to do his thing at running back. But I think Harms is going to have to make smart decisions. I think he's going to have to scramble from time to time for first downs. He's going to have to be very smart uh, against a defense that is good where he passes the ball. So. On offense, he's going to have to have his best game for Washtenaw to have a chance. And back on defense, you mentioned uh, this is this sounds like coach speak, but it's so true. I, I think it turn, comes back to turnover margin. I mean, uh, uh, if Washtenaw is plus two or more, I think they've got a great chance of winning the football game. If they look up and they're minus two, minus three, then they're they're going to lose. And, Northwest is going to be the one advancing in the playoffs. Well, and I think that's the thing as a Bearcat fan, that's, that's the thing that I kind of circle because, you know, the Bearcats are negative seven or eight, I think on, mm-hmm. on the season and watch plus what 13 or something like that yeah. On, yeah. on the year uh-huh. as well. And so that's, that's, I don't know. I that's one of the things I look key. at be an interest. It's an interesting, uh, interesting matchup and a big key to the game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're going to look at that at the end and say that was a key and whoever, whoever won this football game. Well, I've got to ask you, Rex, before I let you go, because you kind of have gained a cult following of Bearcat fans. A lot of us, <laughs> a lot of us were watching that game last week, especially in the fourth quarter and in overtime. And, and, uh, you know, I, I've, 
watched a good chunk of that East Central game. There's been a couple other games I've I've tried to catch this season, and and uh, for one, you you do a, a great job with a three man booth. I think a three man booth's a really really uh, tough thing to do. You navigate it very very well. Of course, you've done this for for a long time, but everybody likes your calls. You're a pretty excitable guy, and the the one last week that everybody's been talking about is is the land of milk and honey. And uh, I got is, <laughs> well, is this stuff. Baptist Baptist school, so you know it just kind of evolved through the years. This is my thirty ninth year to do play by play, by the way, and uh, uh, it kind of evolved the the uh, the end zones, either the promised land or the land of milk and honey. So uh, that's just kind of that's one of our trademarks. I know there'll probably be a lot of Northwest fans uh, watching the live stream that comes from Washington, and you'll be getting our audio. They use our radio audio. Uh, for the live stream production, so uh, for for better or worse, or a lot of your fans will get to get to hear me anyway. But that's that's kind of the trademark. It's a lot of fun. I, I'm lucky in that um, it's kind of a fun story. I grew up a block from this Washita Stadium as a water boy uh, for Washita football, and my main color man has worked with me almost all of these last four decades. He grew up two houses down, even closer to the stadium than I did. Uh, so, so we both grew up by the stadium going to Washita football games. And now we've been broadcasting them together for almost 40 years. And uh, the third man you mentioned on the air, uh, he's been with us now for, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm adding up 14 seasons. He's been with us on the air for 14 seasons, but Jeff Root and I have been at it so long. We still think of him as the kid, even though he's been part of the crew for 14 seasons. He, he's the kid on the crew, Richard Atkinson. <laughs> well, I got to ask for Bearcat fans that are that are making the trip. What are what's a you know a good place or two to eat? Where should, where should they check out if if uh, folks are going, coming down to the game? Oh man, I, I got to tell you, there Arkansas is a good restaurant town, and I like to eat. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, there, there's a beautiful lake just outside between Arkadelphia and Hot Springs National Park uh, called DeGray Lake, and out toward the lake, there's a place called the Fish Net that's great for seafood. There's a place called the uh, uh, There's a place called the Fat Boys that has, and then uh, uh, my uh, my friend Nate Olson, who is a Northwest graduate with, uh, who's a sports writer here in Arkansas and broadcaster, tells me that Fat Boys and he's from Iowa originally, so he knows pork. He knows pork steaks, <laughs> and he says they have the best pork steak in Arkansas. So Fat Boys, there's a legendary place called the Hamburger Barn that's got everything from hamburgers to steaks, and there's really good barbecue place called Allen's. So there's there's four for starters uh, right there. And you can't can't go wrong with any of those four. Well, it sounds good to me. Well, Rex, as I sure appreciate you coming on and taking some time, and it looks to be a, a great matchup here on Saturday. Oh, we're looking so forward to hosting you guys. Like I said, you you just epitomize greatness in Division Two football, and uh, we're we're really honored to, to have you at Cliff Harris Stadium. I think you'll enjoy the hospitality. I think you'll enjoy the stadium. It's a great venue for college football, and uh, it's going to be sunny. So that's that's the good news. It's going to be chilly, but y'all are from further north than we are, so you're used to that. I think we're going to probably top out in the high 40. So it's going to be a nice day for football.
Hello, this is former Northwest quarterback Chris Rice, and you are listening to Bleeding Green with Matt Daniel. And welcome back here on Bleeding Green. Proud to be joined by the MIAA columnist on D2Football.com and regular here on the podcast, Devin Alberts. And Devin, man, thanks so much for uh, coming on and chatting with me this week. Yeah, it's been a pretty good year. We got to the end of the regular season. Now it's the the money time here in the playoffs. It should be a lot of fun here in the MIAA and Northwest specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we got the Bearcats and Gorillas in the playoffs, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about the MIAA and, and kind of put a little bit of a bow on the season. You know, I was I kind of dusted off and, and got out the preseason media and coaches polls and was kind of looking over them with with how the season um how the season picked or you know finished and and I don't know, you know, obviously Pitt being picked third in in both and and uh you know ended up winning. That's you know, that's a, a good thing, but obviously Emporia, I think with, with a chance, you know, for, for them going from being picked sixth to finishing third, we knew they had Braden Gleason and his weapons and things on offense, but, um, you know, their defense really kind of came on and, and ended up being, you know, de- depending on statistics, either the, the, you know, third or fourth best defense in the MIAA, which I think was kind of the question mark for them. And as far as, surprise teams I, i'd probably put them at the top of that list what what do you think oh yeah absolutely important state's defense i would put them third in the conference behind Pitt state northwest who had um really the elite defense around d2 as well just their stats and everything emporia is right up right just right behind those teams there um and their offense was so good enough where like i think southern and central oklahoma had good defenses too but their offenses would lack at times and made their defense kind of have some some be on the field too long emporia didn't have that problem as much this year i mean they played in a 14 to 13 game versus Pitt where they probably should have won that game because they left about eight points in the field just on missed kicks kind of deal. So they were a very good football team that was it's kind of a player two away from an undefeated season really with games down to the wire to UCO, Pitt, and Northwest on there. So they were a very good team that uh, they were a team that in the preseason I'm like, I'm not really sure what to do with Emporia, Hayes, Washburn, Western, kind of the middle of that MIAA like I thought, eh, Northwest, Carney probably battled for the conference title, Pitt State right there. Then after that, like, I'm not sure to do the rest of these teams. And Emporia, they really kind of made a statement in week three when they blew out Missouri Western. I'm like, okay, this team is might be pretty decent. And they just kind of ran the table um, with that one hiccup to Pitt State. Then after that, had a chance to get in the playoffs there in the regular season finale at home versus a really good Northwest team. But uh, I was really impressed with what Emporia did this year, and Gleason's going to be back next year. And I could tell – being there at the game after the game, I said hi to Braden, told him great job and really liked watching him play kind of deal. And I could tell that he was just kind of soaking in the moment a little bit and just letting it kind of set in a little bit. Like, hey, we need to be better next year kind of deal. If we want to get over this hump and not feel this way, we have to play better next year kind of deal. What do I need to do to get better in that situation there for it? So I'm intrigued with what Emporia does next year. Uh, but they got a big bowl game, which will be fun to watch them in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, so Emporia, they were a very good team this year that was a pleasant surprise. Well, there were two teams that I kind of mentioned, I, I believe, in my MIAA preview at the beginning, and they, they were Emporia as maybe somebody who could, you know, make a challenge into that top three, possibly, or top four of the conference. So, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give myself a little pat on the back. Unfortunately, the other one was Fort Hayes. Um, I just really thought, and they were, I guess, at the other end of, I would say, probably the big disappointment, finish, pick to finish fifth. And both polls ended up finishing 10th, even Missouri Southern, you know, finished higher than them. And of course, 
you know, we know the Chance Fuller talk and and everything. And I mean, you know, I think we all think Chris Brown's a, a pretty doggone good football coach. But it was I was just really surprised to see them fall as far as they did this season. Yeah, they pretty much flipped defenses with Emporia State. That was their biggest issue. They couldn't stop anybody consistently this year. They were just them and Central Missouri both had so many fits playing defense, just stopping people this year. That was, I mean, if your quarterback goes down and then you also are giving up 30 points a game, it's going to be tough to win a lot of games in the MIAA when playing that bashing kind of deal there. So I was very underwhelmed with Fort Hayes this year. I thought they'd be a little bit better. As you said, I have a lot of respect for Coach Brown over there. He's a very good football coach. And I thought when they played Northwest week one and they had Fuller, but I'm like, hey, this team is giving them issues in certain situations here. They're going to be a pretty – tough out the rest of the year and they just kind of just never got their feet underneath them with the fuller injury and the defense just never really clicked where they used to be there for Fort Hayes because they're used to winning games like hey we course 27 points we're winning this game our defense is good enough he just wasn't there this year so that was the biggest kind of setback for Hayes this season well and uh, other teams I guess there were more minor surprises I think you probably put Central Oklahoma and Coach, Coach Doral in that conversation, finishing with a re- winning record six and five. Boy, after that week one loss to Missouri Western, it it uh, you know I think all of us kind of I, I know you know from from talking to you and I, I was kind of right there <laughs> along with you that happens and I thought oh maybe they're just really going to have a rough season and they really turned it around obviously beating you know a couple of top teams in the conference and Emporia and and Northwest and and having several other you know, pretty close games and giving people a, a good, uh, be, being very competitive. Yeah. Their first month of the season was just kind of weird because like they got blown out by Western. They beat Emporia. They get blown out by Southern. They beat Northwest. You're thinking, I'm not sure what to do with this team <laughs> going for the rest of the year. Then the next few weeks, they beat up on Lincoln, Northeastern and Fort Hayes. Like, okay, we'll see what they do. They got, they're right there in the playoff mix. At that point, they had two losses, same as Northwest and Emporia. But, okay. They're, in that mix, they got tiebreakers over those two teams. If they went out, if they get a couple upsets here, they're in the playoff mix. And then they ran into um, Washburn, Pitt State, and Carney lost those three games. The first two weren't closed. And then they almost upset Carney there on the road. They would have been their, probably their best road win of the year. They didn't have very many good road games this year. Pretty much where they struggled the most for the most part was on the road, which I kind of expect that out of a young team. with a first-year coach who was an excellent coach, but like takes a little bit of time to get your feet underneath you as a program kind of deal. Um, so they're a team that I'm looking forward to next year because I think Doral will get more of his guys in there. Um, I was really kind of hoping they would get a bowl game because I think if you get UCO and Coach Doral an extra three weeks of practice, kind of deal, I wonder what that would do for the next year to kind of build off of that. They're just six and five, didn't quite get that invite to any of those bowls, I don't think, down south. So, well, they're a team that I'm definitely intrigued by next year. I know they won the 13 10 the last game of the season in Central Missouri, but they're a team six and five. Good season for them. I was expecting right around five and six, six and five there. But I think in the fashion that they won it kind of deal, I would have expected like, hey, they lose to Emporia and Northwest. They beat Southern and maybe the upset Washington like they did last year or something. Something in that kind of form of thing and not beating Emporia and Northwest. So I think us seeing them win those top level games gives us a little more um, hope for them next year. Probably they might have believed that they're going to be really good next year because you've seen the high highs. Uh, I think this eliminates some of those low lows. They'll be a tough team to meet next year. Well, and I don't think the other coaches in the conference are too sad about uh, them not making a bowl <laughs> game and getting the extra weeks of practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but as far as you know, teams, we, you look down the standings a little bit. Both teams have finished four and seven. Central Missouri, Missouri Southern. I mean, obviously, six weeks into the season, Southern was was four and two, and and it was looking really good. Of course, they're 
kind of backloaded schedule and and central had the opposite problem where they had the top four teams the first four weeks or who you would think would be the top four teams in the first four weeks of the season and that made it pretty tough i was kind of surprised how competitive central remained through all of that and Mm -hmm. uh and, and even missouri southern they they were not um, you know, even you look at the the game in Maryville, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that that's not the Missouri Southern team we've seen over the past few years. And and so obviously with Coach Lambeau at Central, but then at Missouri Southern too, I think that's a couple of teams that were maybe the records don't tell the whole story. I think they were more competitive than than their records say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at Southern the last five games here, they went 0 and 5 there, but it's a three point loss, a three point loss, a four point loss. 22-point loss in Northwest because the game was probably close to the score indicated they just couldn't do anything offensively. And the 17-point loss of Washington in the year, they were in that one as well. So, like, they were a team that was in a lot of those close games. That's a coin flip either way there um, with that. So, and I think with the MIAA, just kind of in general here, I don't think the top is as good as it has been whenever Northwest and Pitt State were rolling at their, at their peaks kind of deal. But I think the middle of the conference – is so deep and just all matchup dependent so much. It makes it so hard to pick the games in the conference. I think we saw that this year in our pickings with the forum. Like, well, we kind of think it's going to happen, but we don't really know because we're not sure which really team is going to show up, how they match up with each other. Is it going to be something where the line play takes over this game or is it going to be something where, like, hey, the skill guys here are just so good it's going to overwhelm that kind of deal. And we just couldn't really tell week to week which team would show up. Some teams – we're just so good at home. Like Central Oklahoma is so good at home this year. And then they just kind of laid some eggs in the road kind of feel like you got to be looking for that as well. So it just made the, the conference a little bit hard to pick this year and kind of hard to gauge where each team was kind of at. It wasn't like, well, this team's 11 and 0, this team is 10 and 1, like all the way down the board there. There's a lot of um, infighting there. The power rankings very interesting in the middle of the conference. So like, well, I could put them over them, but then they also lost to them. So it made, I got myself in a circle trying to rank the teams there and just like, yeah. Who do I think is better now at this point? So it makes it very interesting. I think it's a byproduct of the silo schedule they've had the last two years for teams to see each other and only each other. So you're game planning 11 games each year versus pretty similar schemes each year. And you're watching film against these teams over and over and over. So there's so much familiarity with each other. It makes it so hard to separate from each other with that because you're just so used to seeing each other either on game days or on film each week or whatever it is. You're so familiar with your opponents now, even more than you used to be. Because you used to be able to throw in an out-of-conference game there or two in the in the film room, at least, just to make something up, see some different looks. But no, it's just the same 11 teams over and over in your film room and on the field on Saturdays. Well, yeah, and you, and you talk about kind of the top to bottom or top to, you know, maybe leave out the bottom third. But just how competitive it is, I know. You know that's one that's one of the things that Coach Churchman talks about when he said, "Hey, you know that's it's a different animal now than you know when I, when I came here '94. It was Pitt and then everybody else, and so you just had to knock kind of one one team off." But we see, you know, kind of the Nebraska Carneys, the Washburns, even you know Emporia, obviously Pitt's back. But but all of those games, I mean, if, if you look at you know, gimme wins. You used to kind of have several that you could just kind of count on. I mean, now it's Lincoln, Northeastern State, and then you don't know what you're going to get, you know, as far as I think most of those other games, at least for the Bearcats, were pretty competitive. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there's, um, you know, you have other conferences where you'll see, you know, I don't know, you look at the GLIAC, right? And they have several teams that are kind of down there think, okay, don't have a shot. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, but, but the depth I think is there, of course, you know, it's hard to tell 
with the silo scheduling. And since you mentioned that, let's talk about that for a second. Cause obviously <laughs> I know where, you know, in, I know where you stand. You're not a fan of it. I'm not either. Um, unfortunately it, it, we haven't seen it negatively impact, um, specifically the Bearcats this season. Do you think that's, I've kind of heard rumblings from different areas in the conference. Do you think that's something that schools, especially those that look to make the playoffs are going to maybe at least revisit at some point? I think you could see it from there, from like a Pitt State. I think they were kind of, they want to do some kind of conference stuff. I think on there and some other teams that are more open for it, I think it'd be good for teams like I think Hayes and Carney. They could kind of rekindle some old RMAC rivalries as well, kind of deal. And I think, and the one thing that I've talked about here, I gives flexibility with where they're at as a program to be able to succeed in their own little area kind of deal. So whether it's like, Last couple of years, Missouri Southern, they're trying to get out of that bottom three of the MIAA, trying to improve their program and try to get out of that same grouping with Northeastern and Lincoln. I think the best way to kind of do that is to scale some out of conference games where instead of trying to beat your head up against, hey, we have to beat Washburn, we got to beat Missouri Western to kind of break through and get out of that bottom three, you still need to win some of those games. But it's more like, hey, if we can get some confidence in an out of conference game, whether we play a Southwest Baptist or we play uh, another GLBC school or a GAC school that they're that's lower in the conference over there, and you can get a big win versus those teams and kind of build some confidence in the program instead of seeing two and nine every year or three and eight. You see some four and seven seasons where you pick up a couple of easier wins and quote unquote kind of deal, and just kind of maybe boost your win total a little bit, just kind of boost the program's kind of feel a little bit. Um, I think that helps you kind of going into conference play where you maybe an upset or two now instead of going three and eight, you go four and seven, five and six. You're just that step closer to being about 500. I think a team like Lincoln would, if they're either still in the MIAA, they still have in conference, or if they're out of the MIAA, the way I look at it, if you're Northwest or you're Pitt State, right now your SOS shooting schedule is going to be 500 no matter what. Say if Lincoln goes, there's two games at a conference, Lincoln plays two teams, one's NAIA, the other one's a D2 team, and they lose the D2 team, they go 0 and 10. But 0 and 10 mark, is better for Northwest's SOS than 0-11 or an 0-9 or whatever it may be on there. That actually helps the conference more if Lincoln goes out of conference and plays a couple of teams. Even if they lose those games, kind of have a chance to win them or play a non-D2 opponent, it would help Northwest or Pitt State or Emporia's resume or whatever it may be get into the playoffs because you're not sticking at that same 500. And... Everyone in the MIAA thinks the MIAA is the best or one of the top three conferences in the Division II. That's just the way the MIAA people think. And I think the best way to be able to prove that is not just winning in the playoffs and winning a bowl game and just massy ratings or whatever it may be on there. It's you start playing out of conference games again and be like, hey, we're going to flex our muscles versus the Northern Sun, versus the GAC, versus the GLBC, versus the GLIAC, versus the RMAC, whatever conference it may be. That's what happened this year with the GLIAC. I mean, Davenport won out of conference teams. Grand Valley and Ferris State both did. Saginaw Valley did. I mean, you just saw teams like, hey, their conference is really good because they really haven't lost very many out of conference games. They're able to show it on the field, which then helps their numbers in the playoffs. And they got three teams in this year because they were able to play out of conference games. And the conference showed how strong they were. They were able to get three teams in. Like, because I don't think Davenport's better than Harding or Northwest. They got in before both those teams, I believe. Uh, especially Harding. Harding didn't get in at all. But it's like they were able to show the field a little bit more than just the silo conference schedule team. So I think it's it's putting your own legs out from underneath you as a conference and your top team trying to get into the playoffs or even teams trying to get bowl eligible. How much would Missouri Western right now 
instead of looking at a five and six record, look at six and five or seven and four because they had a couple out of conference games. And instead of losing a couple of those games, you win a couple of them. You're like, hey, look at that. We are now right there, bowl eligible kind of deal. Maybe Williamson's still there, whatever it may be. But I think it just kind of builds your program and you can tailor your schedule to what your conference needs, your team needs at that moment. And say, right now, hey, we need a couple of just like, average teams to play a little bit just to see where we're at with other teams. And then, Hey, in a couple of years, we might be able to bump up our scheduling a little bit because, Hey, we're there as a program now and we can start taking on some bigger teams as well. So I think it just gives you more flexibility and I know it's more work for the ADs and stuff like that and the teams, but I think it's better for the student athletes and you get to go outside of conference. I mean, how cool was it for Northwest back in the day when they played at Abilene Christian or played Saginaw Valley or played in East Central or, Whoever maybe Nebraska Omaha back when they were playing, you got to play different teams a little bit. I think it was a better experience for the student athlete as well. Yeah, well, and it definitely makes it more exciting for the fans as well. Um, yes. Well, you talked about Missouri Westerns. So let's talk about them. They they were somebody else that I kind of had circled as a, as a disappointment before we move on to kind of mm-hmm. last week and, and and talk about the preview of the playoff matchups. Obviously. Um, coach Willie gets fired. And so, you know, disappointing, not what, you know, Missouri Western wanted sitting there at five and six. And, you know, at last year, I mean, what they were three and five had to win their last three games just to get above 500. Um, I don't know, you know, I look at this Western team and I've said it on here before. I've said it privately, like talent wise to me, you know, they're a top third, maybe top four, five team in the MIAA as far as talent. And they just kind of can't seem to to put it together, and uh, obviously, unfortunately, you know, for for Coach Willie, he loses his job. But that you know it was I think a disappointing season for Western. Obviously, anytime you know you know it's disappointing when the coach loses his job. But um, I don't know what were your thoughts on on their season. Yeah, so I understood the tough stretch there when you play Emporia, Washburn, Northwest, and Carney in a month stretch. Pretty much, so that's a tough stretch for any team in the. Division two to go through on there, and they went 0 and 4 in that stretch after a 2 0 start. And they, ah, that's not great. And then they went down and they didn't, they really struggled with Northeastern State. And I think that was kind of the tipping point. Like, okay, I understand losing four games in a row, you're very competitive in the, most of those games, kind of deal. But then going down to Northeastern and playing that team that way, kind of deal, only winning by seven points and being down a touchdown going into the fourth quarter to a Northeastern State team that's just not very good, especially offensively was just kind of like, uh, there's something just off with the program right now. The energy is just completely flat at that point kind of deal. And that's hard to bounce back from if you have a really flat coming out program kind of deal like that. It's just hard to rekindle that energy for the program kind of deal is where they kind of landed, I think, there. And down the stretch, they were fine. I mean, they played Pitt State tough, beat Southern, lost to UCM. And they finished the year with Lincoln with a really cool story there with the running back, setting the school record for rushing yards as a senior. That was pretty cool on there. It just it was it was wasn't enough there to keep the program the way it was kind of treading there with Williamson on there. So I'm intrigued to see what they do next at head coach, where their kind of coaching search heads off to a new it's a new athletic director and they have other things kind of going on there. So this is a, a really big hire for him, the program there to kind of see where they're going. Cause for a long time it was Jerry there. And you just knew that it was gonna be the same there. They're gonna be a tough, tough team to win six, seven or more games each year. Kind of deal. If they had a really good year, they could bump up and make a playoff push. That's where they kind of need to be. It's I think it's really tough in the current MIAA though, because you're the way I look at the outlets of the MIAA is you got Northwest at the top almost every year, either first or second in the conference. Penn State's back to where they were previously. I love what Coach 
Brian Wright's doing down there at Pitt. Carney with with Chief Davis and company. I love what Josh Lynn's doing over there. And then you still have Emporia and Washburn are well coached. Fort Hayes was down this year, but they're always pretty good. And now UCO has Adam Doral. It's like it's gonna be really hard to crack in the top half of the MIAA just because there's so many well-rounded programs. It's really tough to kind of crack through that. So I'm intrigued to see what Missouri Western does. I think they're super talented. They just got to put it together somehow. And I'm intrigued to see what coach can do that there. Yeah, it'll definitely be uh, definitely be interesting to see what happens. Well, let's talk about last week's uh, Northwest game against Emporia. Obviously, you know Northwest had a little breathing room going into the fourth quarter, and, and Emporia did everything they could to kind of you know fight back in that game. What what were your thoughts? I know you we were both there, of course. You were there, and and uh, what were your thoughts on on that game? And the you know the Bearcats end up pulling it out and, and getting themselves a, a playoff spot. Yes, that was a very kind of weird game, kind of going back and forth there with it. I thought Northwest defensively, especially in that first half, was so good defensively in that first half. I think Emporia had 54 yards of offense there. Um, the only touchdown they had was that Subin score on defense. So the Northwest defense came out to play. I think they graded out the whole game on Gleason. Just kind of, for the most part, keeping him in the pocket. He's going to make some passes throughout the game. They're like, okay, that's just a super accurate pass. But I think for the most part, they pressured him really well. And they were able to be really physical to receivers on the outside. So it was impressed with the Northwest defense. Uh, Gleason, no passing touchdowns through three picks. He did have two rushing touchdowns, but I thought he was very impressed with those touchdown runs, especially the first one where he was able to get by Volstat, which is not easy to do in open space. He's one of the better shirt tacklers in the conference. So that was a very impressive play by Gleason kind of there. Um, but And I thought Northwest offensively ran the ball really well. I love what Jay Harris brings to the table as a running back. I tweeted out during the game that him having his red shirt pulled was the best thing for the offense just because he runs just different than the other running backs in the roster. Kind of, he has a power and a burst that most of the backs in the roster, roster just don't have on a regular basis. Uh, I still think they have a struggle pressing him late in the game because he does have a little bit of a fumbling issue at times, which the whole offense kind of struggles with at times a little bit. A lot of turnovers there for Northwest, but um, they made the plays they need to make there. I think they, I think scoring 20 points in that first half is probably the Surprise of the day a little bit, like the way they were able to move the ball consistently there. And it kind of, they showed some things offensively there. Got a little bit of rut in the second half. Owens, went out. Um, but yeah, I was impressed with what Northwest did. They played with fire there late, giving Emporia uh, two possessions late in that game at either midfield or Northwest territory, where it's like, okay, defense, kind of uh, bail us out here. I mean, the last, the four drives, the three, well, three drives Emporia had in the fourth quarter, um, starting the fourth quarter at least. At the Emporia 35, at the Emporia 15, at the Northwest 46. And they got a touchdown on the first drive, then down to the interception in the game kind of deal. So impressive by the Northwest defense to hold off Emporia's really potent offense there late in that game. Well, and then, of course, you know, the Bearcats sneak into the playoffs and, and get what I think is probably the best possible matchup that they could have gotten. And and all due respect to Washington Baptist, they're they're obviously a great team. They're good at they're good at what they do, but kind of the way they're built is is the way I see it is, you know, offensively anyway, is, is, you know, w- the way Rich Wright builds this team to stop the run. And mm-hmm. not that it's a guarantee or anything like that You're going on the road. It's a long road trip, all of those things. But what do you, you know, w- what are your thoughts on this, uh, this Saturday's matchup down in Arkadelphia? So yeah, TJ Cole, very good quarterback there for Washington, running quarterback. Uh, they average just over 300 yards rushing per game, which is the fourth best. Um, in Division Two, I believe it's the best rushing attack left in the playoffs as well on there. You know, Hardy's out a couple of other teams throughout their rushing-wise to make the playoffs this year. 
Um, very, very, very good rushing football team. They put a lot of points on the board too. They score almost 45 points per game over there. So they can, they can just put the ball in the end zone a little bit, uh, almost 500 yards of offense per game. They're different than Harding because it's more of a spread rushing attack. It's more similar to Nebraska Carney a little bit there in that form. So they can get the ball a little bit more than what Harding does in the past there. So Northwest just can't completely sell out for the run, but they're going to, that's going to be the number one goal is to slow down TJ Cole in that rushing attack. Uh, with that, and I think one of the biggest things here, I think Northwest, as you said, matches up really well with them. But the turnover margin is something I'm looking at this game that Northwest has to either win or at least be even with in this one. They can't afford uh, to fall behind there because Watchdog, they are plus nine on the year, I believe. Uh, turnover differential, Northwest is minus seven. So that Northwest went minus seven in turnovers this year and still went nine and two. It's just a, a testament of how talented this team really is to lose a turnover battle pretty much every game and to still get nine wins in a very tough conference. Shows how talented this team is. Um, but yeah, that's one thing I'm looking forward to this game is just can Northwest slow down Washtenaw. Then on the other side, Washtenaw, they'll give up yards on defense. They're not a stat, they're 90th or so in yards and both passing and rushing kind of deals. So they're not overly stout on the total defense, but scoring defense, they're top 30 in the nation at 18 points per game. So they keep teams out of the end zone, at least there. And they're pretty good on third down. So they're good situationally, just not in like, Overall, so I'm very intrigued to see what Northwest can do in situational moments, and they can keep moving the chains versus a good but not great defense there in Washtenaw. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, let's also talk about <clears throat> talk about Pitt since I got you on here in, in MIAA. Of course, Pitt gets a home home playoff game, and I know they're probably a little disappointed they didn't get the two seed over Ferris. I I see it. I'm I'm not totally shocked that that happened, but they they get at least one home playoff game against UND, who's kind of a scrappy team. I think, you know, pretty much everybody on inside D2 football, and I was along with that. I thought, yeah, Truman's going to win this game. And uh, Truman was up 14 nothing, and UND comes back, and they, they you know, when their backs were against the wall, their season was on the line. They come back and win that game, get themselves a date with Pitt State. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Devin, because I, I don't know what to think about this pit team obviously they you know ran the table in the miaa and you know they're probably the best team in the miaa but you know are they i don't know i'm not sure i'm sold on them as a national championship contender their defense is excellent their offense inconsistent you know as chad dots is going to throw some long touchdowns they're going to have some big explosive plays what are your thoughts not just on this game but on, on the possibility of pit making a run in super region three yeah i think i said this on the d2 show on sunday night where it's like yeah, Pitt, they're going to put up 30 points, but it's going to be like, we're going to score 21 points this quarter, not score for the next, like, six sessions, and then we'll score a touchdown late in the game to win it kind of deal. It's kind of how their offense kind of works, where it's kind of a boom or bust. Either it's going to be a six-play, 70-yard drive, or it's three plays, four yards, and we punt. And there's there's not a whole lot of in-between for Pitt State's offense based on what I've seen this year. And their defense has been very good. It's been not as good as Northwest defense, but I think the numbers-wise, they're, they're right there with them. Um, with that, so they're a very, very good team defensively on there. And one thing with UND, they're a really good rushing team. Uh, I'm not sure if their running back Clinton's going to play this week. He played some versus Sherman. There was kind of a snowstorm there with kind of a bad surface. They didn't, he didn't play a whole lot there in that win. Um, but if he plays, he's a very good running back for UND. Um, with that, I just don't know if running the ball versus Pitt State consistently is going to be the way to beat them. Kind of deal. They're kind of built in that same fashion as Northwest is. Like, hey, we're going to allow. Um, under 100 yards a game rushing on the year kind of deal where a top 30 rush defense in the, in the division two 
force you to throw the ball to beat us kind of deal and just get our pass rush kind of working there against you. I'm just not sure if UND is good enough at the front lines. Um, kind of the same thing with Northwest, though. Pitt State, they're plus one in turnover differential in the year. Um, UND was plus 13, which is the fourth best in Division Two. They forced 28 turnovers this year. And Dodson, for as good as a player he is, he will put the ball in harm's way sometimes. So he's got to take care of the ball because the one thing you need to do to win this game is to force turnovers. They did that versus Truman. It was tied at 14, I think, or they were maybe up one touchdown, and they got a pick six there to kind of get the momentum back on their side to kind of increase the win over Truman State there for them. So UND is a very opportunistic defense, I think. It's just I think Pitt State's a better team here. I just If it's going to be an MIAA team versus the GLVC in the playoffs, even if I don't believe in the MIAA team completely, I'm still going to take them that matchup just because until the GLBC kind of proves it for consistently over a couple of years, I just have a hard time seeing that conference have teams that win consistently. UND has been the best team in that conference for the most part over the last five to ten years kind of deal, but they're still a step below the rest of the teams in Super Region 3. So give me Pitt State, and I think uh, be an interesting matchup between the two red and gold teams there in the region there with Pitt State and Ferris next week. Yeah, definitely should be interesting. Well, Devin, buddy, as always, I appreciate it and encourage everybody to go on over to d2football.com and check out your column. And and uh, thanks for coming on, and hopefully we get to uh, do this again here in a week or two. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we get a couple of MIAA teams versus GLEACs there in the uh, regional semifinals. It should be a lot of fun. Welcome back here on Bleeding Green. You know what time it is. Wrapping the show up, saving the best for last. It's the Bearcats, according to Eli. Yeah. Eli, what's up, buddy? Hi. Heck of a game last weekend. Yeah. What'd you think? We crossed another stadium off of our list. I had not been to Emporia, neither had you. What'd you think? It was pretty. It was. I love their field. Their field looks so awesome, but... The rest of their stadium, not a big fan of their uh, their bleachers. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I agree with their field. I love the gold numbers on the field. That's pretty cool. And the corners of the end zone, like kind of the honeycomb, kind of going like a hornet's nest, kind of things. Pretty cool. But uh, yeah, stadium eh, is okay. But yeah, the 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 field was the nicest part of of it, definitely. It's just so awesome. And, and the Bearcats got a win, right? Oh, yeah. We got an interception with like one minute left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one minute left. And if they would have made that in a field goal, which they were going to make a field goal if they got a touchdown, they would have won. Extra point, you mean? Yeah, the extra yeah. point. Sorry. Yeah, touchdown extra point would have given the game. So heck of a uh, gutsy effort by the Bearcats yeah. when it looked like it didn't look good, did it? Yeah, we were going to get them anyway, but the interception just added to how cool it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was was pretty fun. Well, let's Ooh, look at our uh yeah. let's look at our predictions from the final week of the regular season. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. Um you finished 5 and 1. Let's go with the one game that we didn't have the same. UCM and UCO. You got it right. And I did. I picked UCO. You picked UCM, which for, there's only a couple of opportunities to really. UCM. You're trying to pick a different game. UCM. Why did you fail me? 
Yeah, Central Missouri, by the way. You always give me crap for saying UCM. So Central Missouri, Central Oklahoma, the Battle of Centrals, the Battle of the former Bearcats and Lambeau and and uh, AD and Coach Doral wins. 13-10 to 10 was the final, and uh, that was the only game. All the other games we got right. So uh, Missouri Western shuts out Lincoln 41-0. Um, the one I was most impressed with, by the way, was your score on the Washburn Missouri Southern game. It, the final score was 37 to 20. You picked 36, 21. You were a point <sighs> off for each one. That's okay. pretty good. I'm giving uh, you your props, man. That was pretty good. I get, I don't get just half a point. I get, I get a half and a quarter of a point, <laughs> which means if we were doing like one fourth, I'd have three fourths of it. Just okay. need one more fourth. Nice. Pitt with a pretty solid victory over Hayes, 35-14. I had 35-10. That's, that's pretty close on that one. Loser. Carney uh, beat Northeastern 42-0. And, uh, of course, the Bearcats beating Emporia. You had 24-21 on the Bearcat game. It ended up being 27-21. So there's, there's three scores that we're both uh, pretty close on. Two for you, one for me. Okay. The one thing I, I tried to look at was last year's Pick'em results. I know I did a recap. I didn't want to go listen <laughs> to that podcast episode, if I'm being honest. I, I couldn't find all... I found my notes from last year because I'm a pack rat and keep everything, but um, I know you had a week that you went like two and four, and I, I don't remember how many games I beat you by, but you had it pretty close this year. Five-game difference. I was uh, what? going... No, I Going six and zero oh this week put me at fifty four and twelve, and uh, you going five and one put you at forty nine and seventeen. So, yeah. so you picked up a game on me last week. Oh, I gained I have it back this week. Okay. Uh, so we're still gonna do it as long as we win the playoffs. We're gonna keep doing the podcast, right? Yeah, absolutely. Until we lose the playoffs. Until the Bearcats lose, if we do, maybe we run the table, win the national championship. Grand Valley. I'm worried about them, even though I should be worried about who we're going against this week. Mm -hmm. Do you know who we're playing this week? Yeah, we're playing. Uh, give me a minute. Don't don't correct me, okay? Give me a minute. They're in a uh, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. That's correct. They're in the same conference as Harding as we played last year. Did we beat Harding? Last year, yeah. yeah. Remember? We destroyed them. Just kidding. We didn't destroy them. They were pretty It's 28 good. to 9, I believe. But I mean, it's a solid win. 28 to 9. Oh, my. Washita Baptist. It's a tough. Uh, was it Tigers? That's who we're playing this week is yeah, the Tigers. Yeah, I was right. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Tigers. Washita Baptist, who are 11 and 0. Good team. They Never like mind. Okay, I don't know if we're going to win. Well, they like to run the football, and what's our defense good at? Tackling, running, stopping we, the run. No offense towards our defense, but I feel like we never can ever like most of the incomplete passes are either on the quarterback or the receiver. It's never us really stopping, except a few times this season against Emporia. The the much we maligned secondary balls. secondary played their probably their best game of the season. They kept but Washita wants to run the football and then run the football again and then run the football some more. So uh, 
I don't even have notes here. I'll go insane. If we lose, I'll go even more insane. Well, I like this matchup for the Bearcats. And that's all due respect to Washington Baptist. I like them a lot. I love TJ Cole. Kendall Givens is another uh, great running back that they have. We have someone named Cole on our team. And uh, a couple of Coles. Cole Lamble, the kicker. Cole Hembro, the tight end. Oh, I'm sorry that I didn't know all your guys' name. The only Cole I knew was the kicker. Yeah. Because I only know, like, the... And it could, you know, could come down to a uh, field goal. So who knows? He's He's got one game-winning yeah. kick this season. Yeah. But it's uh, Bearcats so and Tigers. Yeah. You want me to give my prediction first? Oh, yeah. I forgot we're doing predictions still. I think it's a low-scoring game. I, I really do. I th- I think it's it's going to be a close game, but just something. Let me something... guess. 17-12. I totally didn't watch you. No, 21-17 Bearcats. That's what I'm going to go with. I think it's a defensive battle, but this team, when the chips are down, it doesn't matter if we don't play well. Um, we just seem to find a way. And I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm, I'm in on the... Really sorry. I'm going to make my first choice everywhere I go different. I'm just kidding, Bearcats. I All right. never betray us. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> uh, well, you might be, but at least you won't betray the Bearcats. 32. Uh, our winning score. Okay. 24. We win by like... 32-24. You like that eight-point margin. You've picked that yeah. several times this year. Because it's so cool. Don't you guys agree? So there you go. We're going. Are you excited? Ooh, yeah, we got a long day ahead of us on Friday. Mm-hmm. We're going down the night before. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to go down and see the two stadiums, Ooh, Henderson's yeah. Stadiums right across the road, the Battle of the Ravine. What a great rivalry game. Oh, already talked me. to some some great folks. Yeah. I thought we'd kind of keep the bodily functions to a minimum this week, but I guess not. I'm sorry, guys. But, uh, I'm sorry that um, you guys. Yeah, uh, I, I'm excited to see the campus. I'm excited to see the stadium. It, it's it's a new road trip. We've never been there before. I don't think we've ever played Washita. A new stadium that we're, but that's not our region, so it doesn't count. But I'll still add it. It is to our my region, list. though. It because is. it's Super Region 3 yeah, and the playoffs. I mean, like, uh, our, uh, our conference. MIAA. Yeah, but I mean, you we went to Harding last I year. Went to, you've been to Ferris State. I, I, hate, I never want to go back to Ferris. I yeah. hope Pitt destroys Ferris. Yeah, assuming they both of those Pitt's teams really win their Epic first round. Pick, is, pick, 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 pick. I'm going I'm to call them pick if I remember that next you, year. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm pulling a, a, a uh, audible here a on the fly. You want to pick all the the playoff teams in the first round of of the of our region, Super Region Three. I guess. Do you not want to? I don't know. Is that what we're gonna do? Because if that's what we're gonna do, we're gonna do it. So Ferris State is at home against Davenport, a team they beat twenty eight to seven a couple of weeks ago, and the game wasn't that close. Hey, hey Davenport. They're going to get your butt kicked. I'm yeah. sorry. I say 42-10, Ferris. That's that's my... And it might not be that close. Are I don't they think the Lincoln of... No, they can't be the Lincoln. No, they're in the they playoffs, were, but yeah. they were not really competitive with Ferris or Grand Valley. But they beat Saginaw Valley, who a lot of people thought would get in the playoffs and beat them. So, uh, you know, props to them and, and a great season. Yeah. Uh, so, I think I'm sorry, but Ferris wins... Mm-hmm. I really... That hurts us, right? It hurts us to pick Ferris, right? 
I know the feeling, dude. Trust me. I gotta change my normal answer. Seventeen to seven. Such Ooh, defensive battle. Okay. Here. All right. The third defense will be like. Jacked. And then. Uh, okay. Next game. And then uh, Pitt State, of course, is at home against UND, University of Indianapolis, who beat Truman to get in the playoffs. Wait, who? Pitt State. Pitt State is, is at home. Two. University of Indianapolis, UND. Pitt wins. Yeah, I think Pitt wins. Want to throw a score at me just for fun? Yeah, yeah. Pitt is like the best. You want me to give my score conference. first? Probably. No. Uh, no. Okay. I get to. So it's 56. Yeah, I know. Really high scoring. To 32. Don't ask me why I always see 32. 32 is a good number. 56. Man, you're going for a crazy shootout. I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't shootout. think UND can score that many points I thought on it was Pitt. football. I'm going to go 28-16. I thought it was Pitt. football. What did I say? You said shootout. <laughs> yes, that's a high scoring game. No. The, the players are no longer playing football. They're playing football, but football. That made no sense. Okay, great. So there we go. So we're both going with Ferris and, and Pitt and Northwest. So now, we'll see if there's there's any upsets or not. I'm sure there will be around the country. And who knows? Maybe in, in uh, I guess, Northwest technically would be an upset since we're the road team. go against Pitt again and go to the national championship. It may be a low percent. I think it would make a lot of the players so happy, happy if the Bearcats could could play Pitt again. I have it on pretty good authority that the players but Pitt were hoping they'd see two. Pitt. And we, I'm so mad that we lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I'm not going to do anything. That was actually a decent season. But only us and Pitt made it because mm -hmm. us and Pitt were so epic. Yep. Epic. Okay, so I have a question that yes. was submitted. If you have a question for Eli, because even if we lose, we'll have a wrap-up show next week. Hopefully, the Bearcats win, and we and we Please. have another. I don't care we have what a Bearcat, it is. It can uh, be Green anything. Valley. It can be something so stupid. Underscore bleeding care. underscore green on Twitter. You can message uh, the Do podcast something. Facebook page, Bleeding Green Podcast. So this okay, question, question, and I know the answer. You don't. I didn't ask you this. Where is the land of milk and honey? Huh. What's a milk and honey? Like uh like the drink in the uh thing that comes The land these. of milk and honey is a biblical reference to Moses leading the Israelites. Is it uh out of Egypt and to the promised land? Is it a football team? Is it related? No, so okay, so here's the thing. So Rex Nelson, the legendary play by play announcer for Washita Baptist, said that was his call last week of when a player made it to the end zone, instead of making it to the promised land, or it was to the land of milk and honey. He has some great, he has, I tell you what, if, if, uh, of course, had him on early, earlier in the podcast, but you, you did, you, I did. And you got, you got to listen. Uh, I'm just telling folks they have to listen to, uh, to some of his calls. They're, they're pretty epic. And all, all that stuff's epic, on YouTube. Dude. Okay. Well, is this the end? And that's it. That's the question. And now, How are you, you going to wrap us up here? Okay. This may be the... Well, it can't be the last, actually. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. The Bearcats, 
are not yellow. They're not. They're not blue. That'd be kind of cool. But no, they're not blue. They're not. They're not green. Well, actually, they are green. The Bearcats, they're green. Green. I'll try to keep the bodily functions to a minimum. Uh, almost, almost to zero, but now well, he's a gassy kid. What are you going to do? That's, that's Eli and the Bearcats, according to Eli. And uh, c- a couple of quick thoughts on this game, by the way. Um, you know, I said at the beginning that, you know, I like this matchup. And I do like this matchup for the Bearcats. Of all the matchups they could have gotten, and partially because it is strength on strength. and But that has nothing to do with... I do not think this is just a rollover game. Washington Baptist is a really good team. They have an incredibly talented football, talented football team. And, uh, you know, th- to me, this is kind of a coin flip game. And, you know, the Bearcats maybe have more experience and just have, I don't know, you know, have something where they just grind it out. But look at what Washington did last week. Down a couple of touchdowns, four minutes left, come back to force overtime. So, um, hoping it's a great atmosphere. The weather looks pretty decent. So at least us in Northwest Missouri would consider it pretty decent this time of year for a playoff game. And so, um, but again, nothing but a ton of respect for this Washita Baptist team. They're a good team. And I think it's going to be a great game as in, you know, as, as you heard there with my uh, close score prediction. So anyway, I just wanted to clarify that in case, uh, that didn't come across or I wasn't very clear, um, I'm excited. I'm excited to go down there. Every single person from Washita Baptist, I've had some folks reach out, has, has been absolutely great. Everyone to do with the university has been spectacular, and including none other than Rex Nelson. Hey, Bearcat fans, we have some places to eat if you're one of the folks traveling down there. If you're not traveling down, I would encourage you to tune in on their sports network, which, listen, we complain a lot as fans about the MIAA network especially the cost. And I understand why the MIAA does it and and the schools do it. Um, It's advantageous for them to do it financially. And and I understand that, but I'm telling you the, the Washita Baptist and and it's student run, by the way, now the broadcasters are Rex and his team. That's the radio broadcast. And then they pair that they put graphics up on the screen. If you're not somebody who's watched, I've caught three or four of their games or bits and pieces of them throughout this season. And it's, it's, amazing quality. And I also know a certain Bearcat podcaster that may or may not be part of their pregame show on Saturday. So anyway, reason for you to maybe uh, tune in early. I'll I'll tweet out about that once that's all decided and and put that out on social media and and give them a plug. But uh, again, just that's pretty excited. And they do some really great quality work. And Rex, if you haven't got a chance to listen to his calls, um, excitable, it's probably the understatement of the year. And, uh, you know, but he, you know, he's, there's not a guy who he's done it longer than John Coffey's done it. So you got a couple of great broadcasters, uh, doing this game for both schools and a couple of great schools. And, and I think have a ton of respect for each other and, uh, and we'll see what happens on Saturday. One other thing I want to mention before I wrap up is, is a uh, Parker Schmitz. And of course I've had him here on the podcast. He does such an amazing job with the recap videos, with the hype videos each week. And, and to listen to, you know, we've had folks like Xavier Oman and Sean Bain recently as, as doing the voiceovers, Dave Tollefson, 
and it's so, so cool. And he does incredible work. I have a, a massive amount of respect for the, the effort and what Parker does. I, you know, I have very little TV and video experience and I did not, ha did not have an aptitude for it, but I do know how much work that takes just to go through the footage and everything. And, and, uh, you know, you, we always see him running around like a crazy person on the sidelines, trying to get the right shots and everything. And he does an amazing job. I just wanted to give him a shout out. And, uh, he, he really is incredible. And, uh, just, it just shows how lucky we are, right? We know that making the playoffs again, 18 years, holy smokes, what spoiled and lucky fans we are, you know, cause I think we had to, you know, for the first time, maybe since, I don't know, 2017. And I don't, that was five years ago. I don't remember, remember how much of a real possibility or that was that we wouldn't make the playoffs that year. I mean, obviously we were on the road, but I mean, I don't know, you know, I was kind of grappling with the, with the real possibility of us not making the playoffs. And, and even if it would have, wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have got in, um, just what an unbelievable run, you know, that, that we've been on that continues. So credit to coach Wright, to the staff, to the players, of course, especially this young, young team has had to overcome so much this season. And regardless of what happens, and you know what, if we wouldn't have made the playoffs, I'd still be proud of this team. You know, some, some great leaders on this team, some great young players that I think are going to be key pieces to uh, some really, really great teams going down the road. And uh, But this season's not over yet. So we get at least one more game, one more week into football. And and uh, I, love, I love games in Maryville, don't get me wrong, but I love road trips. And like I said, going south this time of year, you will never hear me complain about that. And so I'm, I'm so excited to uh, experience what Arkadelphia has to offer. And, and uh, it ought to be a great, I think it's going to be a great game and uh, two great football teams punching each other in the mouth. And who knows if we both run the football as much as we think, then uh, the game might not be very long. So, um, but there'll be hopefully a good contingent of Bearcat fans down there cheering on the cats on Saturday. Again, if you can't make it, tune in on the Bearcat Radio Network. Watch Washita's feed as well. And, uh, yeah, again, big thank you to all of my guests this week. Rex Nelson was spectacular, very gracious with his time, and uh, some other kind of folks behind the scenes. There's a lot of folks behind the scenes that kind of make things happen. You know, I give shout-outs to Colin McDonough at Northwest, helping me get different players like Jamar Moya and those other guys as well within the athletic department that are that are great. Always appreciate their support and things. John Dykstra from the Maryville Forum, always check out his articles and does a, a wonderful job. John really has a talent for writing. And uh, Devin Albertson, the MIAA columnist for D2Football.com. Don't forget to check out his column as well. As always this week, he does a great job breaking it down and kind of, um, you know, I, I use it to kind of learn, <laughs> try to learn as much about the rest of the conference as I can. And, of course, Jamar for giving his time um, and coming on the uh, podcast this week. And Eli as well, which he's having a fun time. And thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of this. I, I have one last story to share before I wrap up and I'm, I'm not going to call out the parents. I don't think they would necessarily mind, but I won't name them. Um, we, we get out of the car. Um, we drove to Emporia, of course, and we're parked over closer to the parents. Eli and I are standing there and, uh, all of a sudden I hear, are you Eli? 
and it was a parent of, of one of the players and the parents came up. Of course, they were listeners of the podcast. But you talk about making a young man's day. You know, they didn't ask, are you Matt? No, they asked, are you Eli? That was the first one. And I tell you what, that made, it probably made his year, to be honest. And we were down on the field, got some pictures with with some of the players, and, and parents were asking him to take pictures with their sons, which is pretty cool. And so um, just the way Bearcat Nation has, has uh, you know, embraced and adopted my family, and specifically my son, is, is pretty special to me, so thank you. And just by you listening is uh, supporting this, supporting me, supporting Eli, and, uh, you know, and, and you're the reason this podcast is as successful as it is. I view it as a success. What other people think, well, I guess that really doesn't matter. But I certainly appreciate you, and, you know, you're the reason that it grows, and so word of mouth, as, as I like to say, is the best, uh, um, you know, the best advertisement that we can have. And cause, uh, well, I don't make any money from this podcast, so I'm not doing any advertising. And so it's, it's pretty much all word of mouth. Um, and so, you know, you can follow on Twitter and be a part of, uh, of the bleeding green Twitter page, tweet your questions for Eli for next week's episode, underscore bleeding underscore green. You can put them on the Facebook page as well. Bleeding green podcast. If you search that, or you know what, if, if you want to tell somebody about this podcast, whether they're a crazy Bearcat fan that goes to all the games like me, whether they're just a casual fan that makes a game or two every season, somebody that doesn't live around here, somebody that hasn't really followed Bearcat football for the last 20 years. You know, the off-season episodes are something great. You can kind of go back and listen to them. If somebody hasn't followed Bearcat football in 20 years, have them go back and listen to the Dave Tollison episode or the Greg Teal episode, or uh, which is almost 30 years, which, holy smokes. But... Uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I definitely appreciate that. And if they're not the most tech savvy person, send them to bleedinggreenpodcast.com. They can listen there or that shows you all the different places that uh, the podcast is. One other thing that was kind of a thrill for me personally, I had some family up from out of state and, uh, they uh, wanted to know about the podcast. So they just searched on us and yeah, Spotify is probably the one where it'll pop up first. And uh, they just searched Bleeding Green, nothing else, and it was the first search result on Spotify. And that, I tell you what, that just kind of made my day. Because there are some other Bleeding Green podcasts out there. Eagles fans use that. There's actually, I believe it's an ESPN affiliate in Philly that has an Eagles podcast that's named Bleeding Green. And and this one came up before that one, so that... That kind of made my day. So anyway, just, uh, you know, search Bleeding Green. You don't necessarily need the beers, burgers, and Bearcat football. It's I know it's it doesn't roll off the tongue, but I'm such an office nerd. If if you don't know the, if you don't know the office, well, don't worry about it. If you do, you probably know what it's in reference to. And so, uh, although Eli doesn't, you know, that's a great question for him next week. I should ask him if he knows where that's from. Anyway. Thank you so much again for listening. Thanks for being a part of this. Whether you're a Bearcat fan or a Tigers fan, I think we've got a great game on Saturday, and I so look forward to it. And that's it for another episode of Bleeding Green, Bears, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel, and as always, go Bearcats! Go!